0: I've started a series of probably a month or so ago. Um, on it's actually a, I've shared it before uh, here once before, called Living in Graceland. And it's we talked about the fact that God has given us the ministry of reconciliation. How many of you were in any? I think we've done two sessions in that. You've been you were part of some of that. Yeah, God. The, Second Corinthians five seventeen says that we're you know if any man be in Christ we're a new creation. Uh, 518 says, and God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting, not counting is a key part, not counting their trespasses against them. And then the next verse says, and we've been given the ministry of reconciliation as if God was begging through us being reconciled to God. And so we've been talking about this this season that we're in called the last days. And last, um, I, I think the last session, we talked about the fact that there's a difference between the last day and the last days. How many of you heard that message? If you didn't, you might want to you might want to get it. I think you can get it on iBethel TV still um, that we don't live in the last day. The last day nine times um, is called the uh, great and terrible day or it's called the day of judgment or it's called the day of the Lord. And it's always mentioned as a day. Now, I'm not at all trying to say that the day that it's only 24 hours. I'm saying that it's mentioned as one season of time that's separate from the last days. So we live in the last days and our ministry is the ministry of reconciliation. And the ministry of reconciliation is specifically not counting the trespasses against them. We talked about um, Matthew 5:43 last time where Jesus said, um, you've heard it said, love your neighbor, but hate your enemies. But I say, love your enemies, hate, uh, uh, pray for those who persecute you and you'll be like your father. I know. Your father who's in heaven, who causes it to cause it, causes it to rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. And we talked about the difference between the old covenant, where when you did evil, God withheld the rain and the new covenant. God makes it rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. And we talked about the fact in the last session that when Jesus died on the cross, he didn't die for Christians. He died for the world. God so loved the world. So one of the questions that gets asked often um, when people email me after after this message, is there, they say they, they ask me, did the cross change God's perspective towards those who receive him or did it also change heaven's perspective towards people who have yet to receive him or may never receive him? And the, the, the actually the cross, the cross actually changed heaven's perspective towards the world. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son God didn't send his son into the world to judge the world, but that the world may be saved through him. So you understand that the cross didn't just change heaven's perspective of of Christians, but it changed God's ability to release mercy on people because judgment was taken care of on the cross. If you will, justice was taken care of through judgment so that God could release mercy without being crooked. And if you don't get all that, then I understand that we did. We took about 10 or 15 minutes to explain that. But the point is, is that we live in this epic season called in the last days. I'll pour out my spirit on what? All flesh. And then he goes on to say um, that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And I know there's um, there's kind of a, a theology that's sweeping um, a lot of especially young communities right now. I think it's uh, termed universalism. Where it's kind of like you know you you're going to have a chance to receive Jesus. I mean, you have a chance to receive Jesus now, and everybody's going to be saved. And and then if you don't if you don't get it now, then you, you're going to have a chance in the afterlife to receive Christ. It's really not what the Bible says. The Bible actually says that there it's pointed man to, uh, to uh, for to to die and, and then the judgment. And then you know the Second Corinthians. I'm sorry. Acts two seventeen eighteen nineteen that whole. That whole section of scripture where it says he'll pour out his spirit on all flesh. He'll pour out his spirit on all flesh. But you'll notice that the end of that passage ends with this. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How many understand that pouring out his spirit on all flesh and having everyone receive him is two separate things? So God's promise is that he'll touch everybody. But his promise isn't that everyone will receive him. How many of you know that he still gives you a free will? Just um, just some thoughts there. Um, I want to talk just a little bit about... um, In fact, why don't you turn to Romans 8. This is actually one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible. And especially... um, How many of you, like, you read a chapter at a time? You're kind of like me. Mostly you read a chapter at a time. How many of you, maybe I should start, how many read the Bible? (laughs) If you, sometimes, uh, sometimes you don't get the full force of a, a passage when you read a chapter at a time. Romans is kind of like that. There's a whole, there's a theme that begins at the first chapter of Romans and doesn't end till the last chapter. And I think that sometimes when you read Romans, like, uh, some, I think some um, I, I think some books are uh, I don't know for me Romans is so much more powerful when you read it in one setting but just to pick up a, a few verses um, verse 14 for all who are being led by the Spirit of God these are the sons of God for you've received not the spirit of slavery leading to fear again how many of you know that you're not you haven't received the, the spirit of slavery and what does it do It leads to are you guys okay? The spirit of slavery, you have not received the spirit of slavery leading to what fear again. But you've received the spirit of adoption as sons of which we call Abba Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if we are children, we're heirs, uh, heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ. Indeed, if indeed we suffer with him, so we shall also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that's to be revealed to us. Now, how many understand that we often read that at funerals? But this is not talking about when you die. It's talking about that perseverance when we go through trials. How many understand that you receive glory, that you're, you were born for glory, that you were born as a joint heir of Christ and everything you go through is is there to reveal the glory that God has Actually hidden in us for the anxious longing, Verse 19 of creation for anxious for the anxious longing of creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because him who subjected it in hope that creation itself would be set free from slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. What's going on? Creation is trying to be set free from slavery to uh, to corruption. How many understand that when Adam and Eve, when they ate the fruit, that it wasn't only Adam and Eve that were under a curse. It was creation. The the curse over Adam was that you will till the ground. In other words, you'll work hard to till the ground like you cultivate it. You cultivate it Eden you cultivated the garden, but now you're going to cultivate the garden, but it's going to yield thorns and thistles In other words, you're going to do the right thing But the wrong thing is still gonna the wrong thing is gonna happen. How many understand? That's a curse And before you knew jesus, we were all under a curse You did the right you could do the right thing, but the wrong thing still happens And the lord released us from the curse He went, when we received jesus christ. You got released from the curse. Jesus died He he died on a tree, Galatians 3, and it says, cursed is everyone who dies on a tree. And so when Jesus died on the cross, he died on a tree, he released us from the curse uh, of of creation. He released us from the curse that happened in the garden. And do you understand that, that creation itself is waiting to be released from the curse? Are you with me? And did you notice that Jesus... Said that the gospel. He said, "Preach this gospel to every what living creature. That creation itself is needs to be saved, if you will. It needs to be redeemed from the curse. And I, I I actually believe. In fact, it's in uh, Second Chronicles seven fourteen. We read it quoted often when we're praying for our nation. Um, um." I almost said, Our Father who's in heaven, hallowed be your name. That's not the one though, but it's a good one. That's a good one too. It, yeah, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I'll hear from heaven, forgive their sins and what? Heal their what? Their land. Heal their land. Why does the land need to be healed? Because it, it cursed under the, under Adam and Eve and it was is relegated to fertility that, that means it it means uh, it means without purpose. Creation became purposeless when Adam and Eve lost their relationship with God. And so creation is crying out to be released from corruption. From slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Verse 22. For we know that all creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth until now. And so creation itself is groaning and it says that it's that it's having childbirth pains, if you will. It's, what is it trying to do? It's trying to release the glory of the children of God so that it can be free from slavery to corruption. In other words, creation is enslaved to corruption. It wants to be released the way you got released. When you received Christ, you got released from slavery to corruption, and you got released into the glory of the children of God. And creation's like, as soon as you get that, there's something about creation. I don't I don't really understand this. I don't, I don't, you know, all I know is that when people go to heaven, flowers talk. And I know that a donkey talked in the Old Testament. I mean, I'm not, listen, I don't talk to animals and trees don't talk to me and I don't know how weird this gets, but there's something about creation that actually loves God. Jesus actually said, listen, if you don't worship me, the rocks will cry out. I don't know what all that means, but creation actually has some sort of, uh, um, if you will, some sort of sense of who God is and who their creator is. And creation is waiting to be released into, into its divine design. Do you know that the first first command was to be fruitful and multiply? The second command was to take care of the earth. That creation care was the second command that God gave man? I think sometimes our eschatology is killing our ecology. It's kind of hard to get excited about taking care of an earth that's going to burn up. But I think that the earth is burning up in the same way that you have been baptized in the Holy Spirit and in fire. And the way that you received, you became a new creation. This is just my thoughts. These are not the thoughts of our sponsor. This is my thought. How many of you understand that you became a new creation in Christ and all things have passed away? Revelation 21 says that I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the, old, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And then he said, I heard a voice that says, I make all things new. He didn't say I make all new things. He said, I make all things new. I think creation's waiting to get its born again experience. I don't know if born again is the right word, but you understand it's waiting to have it's waiting to get out of corruption into the glory of the children of God. And and I don't even know what all this means, but I understand that that happens when the children of God realize that they are glorious sons and daughters of the king and they begin to co-reign with God. I, I don't think that's in heaven. The way I read this is that this is what creation is waiting for. It's urging, it's it's groaning, it's suffering birth pains. It wants to release you into your God-given destiny as co-reigners with Christ. As sons and daughters of God. And the the result in you is that you no longer are a slave to fear. If you live in fear, you're, you're serving the wrong spirit. Can you see that? For all of us who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. You have not received the spirit of slavery leading to fear again. Do you understand? If you live in fear, it's the wrong spirit. (laughs) Because you have a spirit, you have have not received the spirit of slavery leading to corruption, but you receive the spirit of adoption as sons in which we cry, Abba, which is Daddy, Daddy God. How many understand that when you're, when you live in a culture of fear, that's the wrong spirit, and that's the spirit that God wants to save you from, from, and if you're being led by the spirit, you're no longer a slave to fear. And, and, and somehow creation wants to create some sort of synergy with us, where creation and, I don't know how weird this gets, I, I, I wanna tell you, Show you. I know I'm sharing things I don't understand, but I just want to read you just a couple of verses verse 13 out of Revelation 12. And when the dragon saw the woman was thro- I'm sorry, when the dragon saw that he was thrown down to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. But two wings of a great eagle were given to the woman so that she could fly into the wilderness and into her place where she was nourished for time, times, and half time from the presence of the serpent. Get this. And the serpent poured out water like a river out of his mouth after the woman so that he might cause her to be swept away by the flood. Get this, verse 16. But the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened up its mouth and drank up the river which the dragon poured out of its mouth. Now, I don't know what any of that means. I just know that creation was helping us. I think creation wants to help us. I think creation is actually—I don't even know how this works—but I think creation is trying to give birth to the glorious sons of God, so they can come out of slavery, so that they, the creation, can come out of slavery to corruption and, and move into the glorious sons of God. I think that, that I think as long as I think as long as the children of God think of themselves as prisoners, creation becomes a prison. But as soon as they they realize that they are princes, the the planet becomes a palace. And so I believe that creation wants to help the children of God. I think creation was meant to bless the children of God. And I think the children of God were meant to bless creation. I think that's the ecosystem of life. I think we were meant to bless the earth, and I think the earth was meant to bless us, and I think it was supposed to be a beautiful ecosystem that got messed up. It's interesting because um, and we, we are hearing about earthquakes and um, all this kind of stuff lately a lot. And, of course, if you live in California, you are blessed to have more than your share of prophecies about earthquakes. You know, I was thinking about, this is Easter. I was thinking about the earthquake. In fact, um, why don't you turn to Matthew 28. Verse 1, after the Sabbath... As it began to dawn towards the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other woman came to look at the grave and behold, a severe earthquake occurred and an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat on it. And his appearance was like lightning and his clothing was white as snow. And the guards shook for fear, for fear of him because they beca- and they became like dead men. And the angel said, to the woman, don't be afraid. <laughs> Did you notice he didn't tell the guards, don't be afraid, he told the woman, don't be afraid. <laughs> You be afraid you are sons and daughters of God. Don't be afraid. I just thought it was interesting that the first earthquake mentioned in the new covenant actually rolled away the stone and created and, and helped Jesus come out of the tomb. And it just kind of relates to Romans eight, if you will, that that that, you know, that that, that the earth is actually groaning. It's having birth pains. In fact, um, Matthew 24 said talks about Jesus said there'll be earthquakes, there'll be famines, and these are just birth pains. And the next time there's the the the, the next time I'm the top, the first earthquake after Jesus spoke that actually released Jesus from the tomb. Well, I don't know it restoned, it worked with the Lord. You know what I'm trying to say? Could he got out if there wasn't an earthquake? I don't know, but there was one. I thought that was pretty cool. And the next earthquake is in um, Acts chapter 4. And they're praying for boldness. And it says, and the place where they were praying was shaken. That's a good earthquake. And the next earthquake was in um, Acts 16 in verse 26. And it was a jailhouse rock. You remember that? It says the foundations of of the prison were shaken and all of their all of their bonds fell off. How do you tell an earthquake that's from God? It releases resurrection life It releases freedom over prisoners. <laughs> that's just a good word, actually. Are you with me I think that yeah. I think the Lord, see, not only do I not think that we're supposed to prophesy earthquakes, I think the earth is actually wanting us to stop cursing it and start working with it. I don't think it's just, hey, don't prophesy an earthquake. It's like, help the earth. You know, I'm an earth first and other planets later kind of person. We're the only people in the world praying for global warming. You know, that the earth would be burned up in intense heat. Revival. Actually, Thessalonians says the elements will be burned up in intense heat. The word elements there, everywhere else is interpreted in elementary principles. That the elementary principles will be burned up with intense heat. That's a good word, too. Anyway. Um, I think that... I think we're... Um, I think we're moving in a whole new dimension, a new epic season. And I think that the Lord really wants us to to get his heart. Like, I'm not just talking about rules and laws. Like, we've been talking about... For the last couple of weeks, why I believe that judgment words are most often not from the Lord. And why the earthquakes and all that, that sort of thing. I, I think there's a whole mindset. I mean, I don't think it's just about, hey, let's, let's, not do, let's not do something wrong. I think it's about embracing this new season and speaking life. How many know that life and death are in the power of the tongue? And when the when Jesus was trying to uh, pass through um, when he was trying to pass through uh, um, Samaria, I'm sorry, trying to pass through Jerusalem, to go to Samaria, they wouldn't let him pass. The, the Jews would let him pass because he was going to Samaria. And the James and John said, do you want us to call down fire on these people? And Jesus turned to him, he says, you don't know what spirit you're of. Like you, you have, you've misunderstood the spirit of what I'm doing. And I, I feel like it's not just about rules, you know, do and don't. And let's, let's, you know, let's, let's make a list of things you shouldn't do when you prophesy. Let's make a list of things you should do. I think those things are, they're important. We'll talk about a few more of them before we end tonight. But it's more, I'm more concerned about the spirit of what we're doing. I feel like it's important for us to know what spirit we're of. That we're that we uh, we were, we're here to redeem the earth. We're here to rescue people. We're here to give grace to people who don't deserve it. And you know, the, the part of the struggle is that when we judge people, for instance, in the in the book of Joshua, when they went into the Promised Land and they were remember this supposed to destroy everyone in in the Promised Land, they were supposed to kill everybody. Remember this, this, this old covenant. When they went into Jericho, the only person they didn't kill was the the prostitute, Rahab. In other words, we're prophesying against cities because of their immorality, and the only person God saved in the Old Covenant was the person who was immoral. I'm not sure we're a good judge of how God views the world. And how many understand that if they didn't save the prostitute, then there wouldn't be David because she's the great-grandmother of David and she's the great-great-grandmother of Jesus Christ. And what I'm getting at is when we start saying, well, this, this city needs, deserves to be judged because of this and that, I'm not sure that we see the way that God sees. I'm not sure that if we, if we, if we were supposed to judge people, if we, I'm saying judge in the way, I'm using the word judge in, the, in a negative sense, and I understand that judgment, that we're all going to, listen, we're all going to stand before God and we're all going to be judged and it's going to be a great day for us. Because that's the day we get our stuff. I'm getting me some stuff. So I'm using the word judgment in a negative sense right now. And I'm saying, if we were supposed to judge, if God said, listen, I want you to go ahead, judge the world. And when you see something evil, just just bring down, call down fire and earthquake. You know, uh, you can uh, cause a tsunami if you want. A hurricane, be creative. Just do whatever you want. Just wipe out people who are doing stuff wrong. I'm not sure that we would get the right people dead. I'm being serious. I'm, I'm not sure that we would kill the right people. If God said, listen, I am gonna put, listen, I want you to make judgments about people and listen, when you see that cities are really bad, I want you to go ahead and wipe them out. Okay, so only the good people can be left. I'm not sure we'd get the right people. I don't know if you got that part. So if we had the power, if God gave us the power, if God has given us the power to make judgments about cities, about the nature of cities or the nature of countries, that's a goat nation. That's a sheep nation. That's a goat person. That's a sheep person. The way that we come up with who should live and who shouldn't. I'm not sure that we are. I'm just being honest. Let me just say this about me, because I don't know you. I know a few of you. I don't I don't know most of you very well. I know me. I know that I have in my heart, and I'm getting better at not doing it with my mouth. No, I don't have a perfect record, but I'm getting better. But in my heart, I have made judgments about people who I determined these people are unredeemable over the years. And many of those people... Are on our staff. (laughs) And many of those people are rocking the world. And some of my team know a few of those people who I'm talking about. And I'm like, listen, if God said to you, Chris, listen, you got your theology wrong. Listen, I'm all right with you judging people. Okay, I'm all right with you judging people. And I'm all right. Like when you think when you see a city that's really wicked, just go ahead and cause an earthquake when you feel like the time has come. I wouldn't trust me. My track record is not very good when people get under my skin. I don't know how yours is. Maybe you're like, well, God could totally trust me. Like, I rock. I've got a, you know, I'm 100% about... So, I'm simply saying, this, this spirit of... the spirit of judgment the spirit the, uh, the idea that i could be trusted to decide who should live and who should die well i'm not doing that all i'm doing is prophesying earthquakes well people die in earthquakes i'm i'm prophesying you know this this calamity this this corruption this thing's going to happen i'm like well listen that hurts people and i'm not sure that you were that you would hurt the people that deserve to be hurt, and then I'm not sure that the people who deserve to be hurt are people that God wants to be hurt anyway, because He tends to like people who sin. I don't know if you notice this, but when I read the New Testament, like especially like I read the Gospels, like if I read like the Book of John in one setting, I mean, the bad, the good guys look like the bad guys, and the bad guys look like the good guys. Like, the guys that are doing everything right, Jesus is mad at all the time. You know, they're tithing, they're acting righteous, they're not cussing, they're not doing porn. I mean, Jesus is mad at them all the time. And the people that are doing bad stuff, Jesus is like, you know what, these are my friends. They're getting drunk, they're sinners, they're wine-bibbers. Jesus is like, I know, they're my, they're my friends. And when the Pharisees start to attack Jesus' sinner friends... He protects them. Did you notice that? Like he prote- protects the sinners and has strong words. I mean, he never calls... He never. I, I, I better comb my brain for this. Okay, I won't say never because I. my memory may not serve me as well as it has in past years. But when he said, you're... Dead man's tombs, whitewashed walls, dead man's tombs. I mean, he wasn't talking to like the prostitutes. He was talking to the leaders of the church. Gary. And all I'm saying is, is that. I love the church, by the way. I don't think the Pharisees of yesterday are the pastors of today. So let me make that clear. I'm simply saying, no, that I guess I should clarify that because I don't think that's true. I don't think that's true. I'm simply saying it's the religious spirit that wants to judge everybody. That's all I'm saying. And Jesus was very gracious with people who struggled with sin. And I want to be Christ-like. If you're following where I'm going. Um, where are we at? Oh, my goodness. I want to just give you a couple of hints um, about negative prophetic words. How many of you have ever got a negative prophetic? I don't mean you gave it, but you got negative stuff. How many of you ever got negative stuff? Okay. Um, I'll I'll, I'll say this. I've never met a prophet, a prophetess or a highly prophetic person who didn't get negative stuff. And, And I've actually never met one that I didn't feel like that oftentimes got negative stuff from the Lord. So I want to talk a little bit about that for a few minutes and then we'll we'll end. Um, why? what do I do? First of all, why do I get negative prophetic words? Well, sometimes Second Kings, chapter six, let me just read it to you quickly. Sometimes the Lord is revealing the plans of the enemy so that you can intercede and keep the problem from happening. And a great example is in Second Kings, chapter six, verse eight. It says the king. Aram was warring against Israel, and he counseled his servants, saying, in such and such a place shall we, shall we make our camp. And the man of God sent word to the king of Israel, saying, beware that you do not pass this place, for the Armenians are coming from there, down there. And the king of Israel sent to the place about which the man of God had told them, and thus he warned him so that he would guard himself more than once or twice. Now, the heart of king the heart of the king of King Aram was enraged over this thing, and he called his servants and he said to them, "Will you tell me which one of us, which will you tell me which of us is for king, over the king of Israel?" And one of his servants says, "No, my lord, no, my lord, O king, Elisha the prophet is in Israel, and he tells the king of Israel the words you speak in your bedroom." Now I think this is a great example. Sometimes the Lord gives us warnings, and those warnings are there so that we can cut off the plans of the enemy. Are you with me? And so the goal isn't to announce that this is the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord says that, you know, this enemy is going to come in and destroy Israel. No, the, Lord's, the Lord is saying, listen, this is the enemy's plan, and your job is to intercede. Your, your job is to stand in the gap and keep the enemies. Out of my, out of my land. Keep this from happening. I was in a place, in fact, in Pennsylvania, this lady came up to me and she said, you know, I I heard your teaching and I wanted to ask you, how do I, you know, how do I actually practically apply what you're sharing? I'm like, what's going on? She said, from the time I was a little girl, I have premonitions and a lot of them are about people dying. She says, "I, I get these premonitions like. So-and-so is going to die. Like, my aunt's going to die. My, you know, and she goes, and she said, every time I get this premonition, within two months of the time I get the premonition, the person dies. And she said, I don't know what to do. She said, it's really unnerving. And she said, I just had a pre- pre- uh, premonition a uh, couple of nights ago about, and she told me who and I want to say. And she said, I don't know what to do with it. I said, you know, if it's the Lord... He's showing you that the spirit of death is trying to take out your family, and your job is to stand between death and life, and say, "You'll go no further. You'll stop right here." I said, "The only only way the Lord would ever tell you that he's gonna uh, that that um that he's gonna take." I said, "Why would the Lord tell you he's gonna take someone's life? Is he like, hey, um, let's let's do what they do in the movies? You know, I'm gonna tie you up and kill your family. You know, it's part of the tortures. It's like, is God gonna say?" To you, hey, watch this. I'm going to kill your mother. while you watch. I'm going to tell you a month ahead of time so you can be tormented all the way up to the day. No, if the Lord gives you information, he's doing it so you can stand between death and life. Are you following me? If the devil's telling you what he's doing, it's because he needs somebody to agree with him because he has no authority. I'm telling you, bad teachings killing people. If the devil comes and whispers in your ear, I'm going to take your mother out, and you get afraid, you're saying, I believe that that's going to happen. And what you just did is you just give the devil permission to do what he doesn't have permission to do. Because Matthew 28, Jesus said, all authority has been given to me. All. That means he has none. Who has authority? You do. The only place he can get permission to do things is from you. The heavens, the highest heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth has been given to the sons of men. He has to ask for permission to get to do damage to people that you love. If you don't understand that, you're like, oh, my mom's going to die. It's like, no, your mom's not going to die. If the Lord warned you, he's trying to stop it. If the devil told you, he's trying to get permission. Either way, the answer is stop it. Let's make it really simple. okay? most of us. You know, I don't think Christianity should be complicated. Still kill, destroy, devil. Life more abundantly, Jesus. Okay? Still kill, destroy, devil. Life more abundantly, Jesus. Love, Jesus. Fear, devil. It's pretty simple. Slavery, fear. Freedom, love. Jesus. Devil. I know. I know. This feels really simple, but it gets really complicated when you get all this prophetic stuff going on. OK, let me just give you. Is it OK if I gave you a couple more? Exodus 32 and Genesis 18 principle. Um, and I'll just tell you those two stories. Exodus 32 is where the Lord comes to Moses. The, the Moses is on a mountain. And when, while he's on the mountain, you know the story. The children of Israel have managed to build a golden calf. How many of you read that or you've seen the movie? <laughs> and Moses and God says to Moses, man, I'm so sick of these stubborn, stiff necked people. And he said, listen, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go down there and what I'm going to do is I'm going to kill all these people. I'm going to kill these people and I'm going to make you, I'm going to make out of you a great nation. That was a prophetic word to Moses. Actually, it was face to face conversation. It was a level deeper than a prophetic word. What does Moses do? Moses says to God, listen, God, these are your people whom you led out of Egypt. Okay, let's make this clear. First of all, these are your people. Secondly, you made a promise to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob that you would take these people and take them into the promised land. Okay, you made a covenant with these people. So turn away your anger. From your people whom you let out of Egypt. And the next verse says, so God changed his mind about the harm that he would do to his people. That's that's a powerful message, but What's the point? In fact, let me just give you one more. Genesis 18 is where God meets Abraham um, at Sodom. Do you remember this story? And he says, Should I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do, since Abraham shall become a great and mighty nation, and in all the nations, everybody say all the nations, all and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed through him? And then he begins to talk to Abraham about destroying Sodom. Do you remember this story? And Abraham's a, a very good Jewish businessman. And he says to God, hey, it's not right that you would destroy the righteous and the wicked together. Think through this. Far be it from the judge of heaven, he says, that you would destroy the righteous and the wicked together. It's not in your nature to destroy the righteous and the wicked together. It's not, it's not in your nature to treat the righteous and the wicked the same. This Old Testament guy knew this. And so he says to God, listen, if there's 50 righteous and you know the story, 50, 40, 30, 20, down to 10. And finally, the angels carry Lot out and they destroy Lot and his family and they destroy Sodom. And you you know that story. But here's my point. Sometimes when God prophesies to us, he's testing our heart rather than determining our destiny. Let me just say it one more time. Sometimes when God's prophesying to us, he's testing our heart. Rather than determining our destiny. In other words, sometimes God goes, I'm going to kill these people. What do you think about that? And you you go, no, no, that's not a good plan. God goes, I got me a leader. I don't know if you pass the test when you go, good plan, get them. I actually, this is, I, I'm, I, I'm partly joking here, but I wonder how many times God's looking for a world leader and finds someone to agree with the accuser and goes, can't help with, it. that's not the right guy. We need to keep looking. We need somebody that when I call for judgment, he calls for mercy. Then I know he's got my heart. We, we have to change the way we viewed prophetic ministry. You know, Paul gets tied up with... Uh, By the prophet Agabus. Do you remember this? Ties him up with his belt and says, this is what's going to happen to you if you go on. This this, you're going to you're going to the Jews are going to blind you and they're going to turn you over the Gentiles. And and Paul says this. Why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready to not only be bound, but I'm I'm ready to die for the sake of Christ. Now, the prophet says binds him up and says, don't go. And Paul goes, oh, I know I'm supposed to go. I already got a word I'm supposed to go. Thank you for the information. In other words, he's processing prophecy different than we do. We think God said it. It's going to happen. God said it doesn't want me to go. God said it is going to destroy. I wonder how many times God's looking for interaction like friends talk to friends as opposed to interaction as slaves talk to masters. I have the sense that the Lord's looking to be influenced. Is this too deep? I have a sense that the Lord is looking for interaction more than he's just looking for I don't want to say raw obedience because I know the Lord wants obedience if you don't obey you know Romans says it, it, that you're slaves you were slaves to sin now you're slaves to Christ and how many understand that when you come to Christ you come first as a slave move into friendship then move to matrimony so I don't want to say that we we have permission to disobey I'm saying that we have permission to interact with God. And then I wonder how many times we hear something negative, that it's an imitation to friendship. I think we have a single-dimensional way that we view prophetic ministry, and I'm wondering if the Lord wants to open up new dimensions to the way we interact with God, so that we move out of slavery and into sonship, and we actually have influence with God, so that when God speaks to us, we can say, well, Lord, how about we do it this way? And it isn't that God's like, it's not like God didn't think of that. Like in the days of Moses, it wasn't like God would say to Moses, man, whew, I've been around a long time. I forgot about that covenant I made with Israel. Boy, oh, you saved me. I'll tell you, I'm glad I born you, boy. So I don't think, you know, do you understand that God could outthink you with half his brain tied behind his back? God doesn't need you. Listen, He doesn't need me. God doesn't need me. He born you because he wants you. He loves you. He wants to have a relationship with you. <laughs> you know, when my um, grandson, Elijah, was young. We lived on an olive street, which is, you know, not too far from here. And we had this little house. It was 900 square feet was the whole size of the house. And it was was just tiny. And um, he would stay a lot over the weekends. And he was really into Superman. No, Spider-Man. Sorry, Spider-Man. He's into Spider-Man. And he would sleep. in. we only had two bedrooms. He'd sleep in the bedroom down the hall. And it was a wood floor. Uh, The hallway was wood floor. Actually, the whole house was wood floor. His house was like, you know. I don't know, it was built in 1936 or something. And he would wake up early in the morning and he'd want to wrestle. He's like five years old. And I could hear him, I could hear his little feet pattering off the, you know, his little bare feet pattering on the wood floor. And, you know, when you get up in the morning and, he, and by, he'd, he'd get out of bed, run across the hallway and it was a direct shot into my bedroom. And when he'd get about to the threshold of my, of my bedroom door, he would yell, Spider-Man! I mean, it didn't matter it was 5 o'clock in the morning or 6 o'clock in the morning. And I would pull the covers over my head. And he would... Spider-Man! And I would pretend he was hurting me. You know, like... Ah, you got me. You know, I didn't grab him and like... Superman! Out the window, dude! You know what humility is? It's restraining your strength. I restrain my strength so I could have a relationship with my grandson. So he would come after me and he like you know he's like he'd hit me as hard as he could. I'm like, ah, you think that's hard? Watch this! And when you wake up from that, there's this one. No, I would restrain my strength. So that we could be in relationship. I think the Lord restrains His strength. I think the Lord, I think the Lord wants relationship way more than you think He does. I don't think, I don't just mean He loves you. That's true. I think the Lord has a passion. You know, to say the Lord needs anything feels weird. I think the Lord wants a relationship with you much more than you would ever Imagine I don't just think he loves you more than you can imagine. I think he wants a relationship with you more than you can imagine I Wonder how many times the Lord's just trying to have a conversation with us We're like, oh, I had this deep revelation the Lord's all Actually, I was just trying to strike up a conversation I don't I don't know if it's like this for you, but like everything has to be deep. Like, whoa, I don't know what that means. <laughs> I love that blue shirt. Whoa, something heavy's gonna about to happen. Lord's all know. Actually, I like the blue shirt. I think I told you this um, a while back, but. Maybe a couple times, but in and on all street, Kathy planted these flowers and uh, this house is really little. And and these flowers grew up into the into our window, into our bedroom window. So you could look out and, and in the summer, she'd open up the blinds and you could look out and the, and the flowers were in were there. And Kathy loves flowers and she talks to them. They talk back to her. It's a family secret. I hate flowers. Like if you can't eat it, I'm like, what the heck? Seriously, she's like planting flowers all over. We're buying flowers. I'm like, why don't you plant corn, something you can eat? <laughs> flowers are stupid. What? So one day in that same little house, I'm looking out the window. It's a summer day, and the flowers are like, yeah, you know they, you know how they turn, different time. And I don't have any idea, but they're like turned towards the window, and they're like. Oh. They are like taunting me, like different color flowers, like, here we are. Mama planted us, spent your money. <laughs> can't eat us, can't eat us. And I'm looking out the window on Saturday morning, I'm looking out the window and I, and I had this thought, flowers are stupid. And the Lord says to me, interrupts my thoughts. You ever have that happen? You're just kind of thinking, the Lord interrupts your thoughts. I know it's the Lord because I would never think like this. The Lord says, you know why I made flowers? And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, this is King's going to teach me about the ecosystems of the universes. And I'm serious. So this, I'm actually having an experience, not just the words. He goes, do you know why I made flowers? I'm like, no. Can I get my notepad? He's, this is going to be complicated. I don't remember very well. He says, I think they're pretty. And I'm like, and? He's like, I think they're pretty. That's why I made them in different colors and shapes. Huh. Is there anything else? Like, no, they're really pretty. Aren't they pretty? And the flowers are like, told you, told you. <laughs> That's right. I'm like, keep it up and turn the irrigation system off and see how he laughs laugh. I think they're pretty. You know, Romans 1 says God's invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature are clearly seen in what God made. That means some of you could just be pretty. You might just be walking around like, why was I born? You're pretty. (laughs) You're running around trying to have a career. God's like, I just made you to be pretty. I don't know if that's true, actually. (laughs) No, seriously, you have another purpose besides that, even if you're pretty. (laughs) Guys are like vegetables and girls are like flowers. This is getting worse. <laughs> but it does tell you about the nature of God that God made things just because they're pretty. And He made flowers because He thinks they're pretty. Think about that for a minute. Like, He made flowers because He thinks they're pretty. He made them in different colors because he, he values beauty. Does that, I mean, we think of God like, deep, wide, <laughs> whoa. I like Him. I think they're pretty. Yeah, my wife says that. God, that's the that's the that's the. (laughs) So the woman's side's coming out on you. Okay, well, (laughs) I bet when we get to know God, there's a whole bunch of stuff about God that isn't deep. I mean, it's not deep. It's just, it's just. He's just awesome. He's just awesome. He just, likes, he just likes pretty stuff. He just likes friendly stuff. And I just wonder how often God speaks to us that he actually is just looking to have a relationship with us. And if you're anything like me, like I think that God doesn't speak to me unless it's going to be like, Oh, earth shattering, get a notepad, record this, definitely make a tape series out of it. And, um, and I think that the Lord wants to change his relationship with us. This, really, this message is really about creation wants to agree with us. He wants Creation wants to help us. We're supposed to help creation because ultimately we were born for glory. And ultimately we were born for friendship with God. And I'd like to just encourage you. I feel like more than anything that we have an invitation to a deeper sense of Of influence with God. And God gives influence to people he can trust. Just like you do. Actually, it's not that complicated. You give influence to people you can trust. When people make good decisions, you trust them more. When they make bad decisions, you trust them less. True? When they make decisions like you would make them, you trust them more. When When they have your heart, you trust them more. And I think that oftentimes God... Gives us tests to see where we're at in our ability to influence in his ability to release more to us and our ability to think like him. And sometimes we fail those tests. Sometimes I think because we're just too serious and too deep. And sometimes the Lord, I think sometimes the word of the Lord is just like lighten up. Love people. Be kind to people. If they're not kind to you, be kind anyway. Love people who don't like you. You'll be like me. Be kind to people that aren't kind to you, because then you'll be like your Father in heaven. And Jesus said this way: If you love people who only love you, then what do you do any different than anyone else? Everyone loves people who love them. But the way people will know that that you are mine is that you have love that that comes from a source so that you don't have to reflect what somebody gives you because you have a source to give it when they don't have it to give. And so, you know, and love, and, and love looks like something. So it's really hard to want people to hurt, die, suffer, any of those synonyms, and say, I love you. You know, sometimes our children go through things, <clears throat> that they bring on themselves. I'm trying to say this discreetly, but sometimes our children go through things that they bring on themselves through bad choices. And I don't know a good father or a good mother who doesn't want that them to not reap what they sowed. I know my kids have made bad choices. I have. I've made bad choices. But I'm just talking about as a father, at times that they've made bad choices. And my prayer is, Lord, step between the sowing and reaping, because I do not want them to get what they deserve. I don't know a good father who doesn't do that. I don't know a single father who doesn't. You know, a really good friend of mine uh, just really recently, their son um, uh, did a, a very violent crime and hurt somebody really bad. And thankfully, the the person didn't die. And just real recently, the the sentencing was just real recently, and uh, a bunch of my family were there at the sentencing to support the mom and dad of of this young man. And guess what mom and dad wanted? Mom and dad wanted mercy, even though they knew their boy was guilty. Why? It's the nature of motherhood and fatherhood. There's just something wrong when we when we want when we don't want mercy for people when they even though they don't deserve it. Are you following me? I, I don't, you can you can just you know, you can argue the scriptures till you're purple. But there's just something wrong when your neighbor is an idiot and you want him dead. I mean, ser- there's just something wrong with that in Jesus. I mean, in Jesus, there's just something wrong. There's something not Jesus about that. And so you can, you know, you can argue the theology of it and, you know, you probably, you know, a lot of people are smarter than me. But there's just something inherently wrong when you don't have compassion for people who don't deserve it. Because for no other reason then you got compassion you didn't deserve. And so if we could just get in that mode of like, you know, if, if I get before the Lord, when I get before the Lord. If the Lord says to me, you were just too nice, I think I'm going to be okay. If he says, you know what, you gave mercy to people I was not giving mercy to. I'm like, I'm so sorry. I thought I'd err on this side because I wasn't sure what to do. I don't know how it's going to be if you erred on the other side. Like, you know what, if I'm not sure you're dead. I'm not sure how that's going to work out for us on Judgment Day when we've judged people and then we're looking for mercy. In fact, I know how it's going to work out because James says that if you're not merciful, you won't receive mercy. So why don't you stand? We'll end this marathon trilogy. And... um. You know, uh, twice we've ended these messages by praying for California, Japan, praying for the nations. Um, Both times I think that we did that. I, I feel like we're supposed to pray for people who have a judgmental spirit and don't know it. Like they don't know it. I'm like, I'm not judging them. I'm like, they just don't know it. And I was definitely one of them for many years. And let me just be honest. I don't prophesy judgment. I still think about people who deserve to be punished. And sometimes my team has to be the ones that go, I don't think you're practicing what you're preaching there. Like, that judgment thing still happening in you. Uh, you're just not calling it prophecy anymore. I'm like, that's that's not good either, right? We're not just talking about prophecy. We're talking about judgment in general. The inability to be redemptive towards people. That's what we're talking about. And I I want us just to grab hands right now and I want us to pray for people who are struggling in this area. And I want us to I want there to be a revelation. You know, when James and John said, do you want us to call down fire? The Lord spoke to them and said, you don't know what spirit you're of. Like you don't get it. You're not understanding what spirit you're of. And and the Lord corrected them, if you will. The Lord corrected them. And you'll find out that it was James and John who did that. You remember that? It was James and John who did that. And you'll find, you'll find John later on, uh, he's called the disciple whom Jesus loved. And he, the whole spirit, it, you can see the shift that happens in that young disciple towards the end of the Gospels. He's laying his head on the breast of Jesus, uh, if you will. Metaphorically, he's listening to Jesus' heart now. The Lord said... You don't know what spirit you're of. Listen, what are you doing? You don't know what spirit you're of. And what does he end up doing? He ends up laying his head on the heart of Jesus. And for years after that, he's called the disciple whom Jesus loved. You can make a shift. I believe people can make a shift. I think that that God wants us to make a shift. People that once called down fire can become people who lay their heart lay their head on the heart of Jesus, they can make a shift. Are you with me? They're not doomed to like, this is the way you think and you're like that forever. Like they can, they can understand that flowers are free. So I want us to pray for people in that mode. I'm talking about Christians right now. And I'm just I'm going to actually just lead you. I normally have you pray, but I have something in my heart I want us to pray. And if you'll just make agreement with me, that would probably be good right this minute. Father, I thank you for... Flowers. I Thank you for flowers <laughs> It reveals your nature uh, that you like beauty and, and that you want. You love friendship and you're inviting us into deeper levels of influence. And you're testing us, God, to see if we're actually if we have your heart, if we if we're if we're like David, if we're if we're, if we're men and women after your heart. And father, I pray for people that have, that are struggling in this area like I've struggled in in, in, in my life And especially in my past. And Father, I pray for the prophets and the prophetesses of um, just that you have released over the globe. Father, I pray for you to put a redemptive spirit of reconciliation on them. Lord, I pray for the spirit of Elijah, new covenant Elijah to come upon them and that the ministry of reconciliation would be given to them and that you would turn that you would turn. Their hearts towards you and that they would begin to realize that 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 your ministry don't matter what ministry is. It's redemptive. It's it's forgiving. It's merciful. It's compassionate that you're calling people back to the heart of worship that you're calling people back to the heart of God. And Lord, the the Rahab's of the world. You like them. You defend them. There's something about sinners where you just step in and you died for people like that. And Lord, we pray that sinners would become our friends. Lord, I pray, for, I pray for prophetic people. I pray for every prophetic people that have a real sinner in their life. I mean a real sinner that they relate to that, that gives them the world view that these people are lost. That they need help. That they need compassion. They need mercy. And there is a judgment day. But Lord, these are the days of reconciliation. These are the great and glorious days of the Lord. These are the days where you wooing people with your kindness the kindness of God that's calling people to repentance. It's the grace of God that's giving people freedom. Lord, I pray against the spirit of fear that is so rampant in the prophetic movement. I ask for, as a prophetic person, I ask for forgiveness for perpetuating that spirit of fear. Lord, let us not be led into slavery to fear again. But Lord, let us be led into fatherhood, into friendship. and Let us be released as glorious sons and daughters of God, will we cry out for their father? Lord, we pray for that right now. We pray for our planet that it would be under the influence of the kingdom. All over the world, the spirit would move. All over the world, people would get people, hmm, you pour out your spirit, that people would be touched who most of us would say, God can never touch that person. That person's too hard. That person's too far away. That person's, They've done terrible things. They've killed Christians. They've done horrible stuff. Those people deserve to die. Those people deserve judgment. Lord, I pray that you would take key people that we would judge. The Rahabs of the world that are in Hollywood. The people that have spoken against you. People like Saul who've spoken out against you. That have, that have been against everything that, you, that, that, is, that represents your kingdom. And that this would be the hour, in the next two years, that you would save the Rahabs, the Sauls of the world. That you would astound the prophets. Astound the world with the way that you touch people that we never thought you would touch. Lord, I pray that you would touch the Lady Gagas, the the Madonnas of the world. I mean the people that... That you love. You love these people. These are these are daughters of the king who just don't know it. Lord, I pray that you would touch them. That you would touch the Steven Spielbergs of the world. That you would touch people who, who maybe they don't know you. Deeply, Lord. Lord, in the educational system. I mean, in every realm of life. The people that everyone says, that guy could never be a believer. That you would astound them with your ability to woo people by your love. Lord, and I pray that you would forgive us as a people for not loving our neighbor as ourselves. Let this be a night of transition for us. In Jesus' name, amen.